Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today, we dig into how the media covers some of the most important cultural issues of our time and in sports with OutSports founder and editor and regular Fox News viewer, Sid Ziegler. This is episode 40. From Michael Irvin and the evolution of acceptance in sports to Twitter and the way it has helped and hurt our discourse, we begin with Leah Thomas and how the corporate press covers the hot topic of trans rights. Thanks so much for for doing this. I uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, I wanted to start, you know, first of all, I, I love following you on Twitter. I want to talk about Twitter later. Uh, so that's, that's one thing, but I also, um, one of the things I really appreciate about you and I want to get into like your whole career and your background, and then also some of the really interesting stories bubbling up in the moment, uh, here, but you're someone who, uh, I, I remember a podcast you did with my buddy, uh, Will Kane, uh, um, which was like a great debate discussion. It's someone I really appreciate, like is game for conversation. Um, and I, and I actually think like in, in our society as as we have more and more platforms, we actually have less and less like actual conversation um, for a lot of reasons. And I think that's really disappointing. So I wanted to start there. I, I, I appreciate that you are game to have these conversations. One of the things that I'm actually proud of is that people on the right think I'm a progressive communist. <laughs> people on the left think I'm a Trumper fascist. And the reality is, I'm in the middle for the conversation. And I, you know, I, as a, as any journalist is, I listen to people, my perspective evolves. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, people on both sides think I'm the other side and I'm neither. I think I think that's the sign of doing something right. If uh, if people on both sides think think something that you know the the, the not both not everybody, but but the ones that have a certain agenda on both sides. If you're not a hundred percent on the team or not, uh, you know you get attacked. That's that's a sign of something right. Is that true that people on the on like the progressive left think you're a trumper? I mean, what why would they? Oh, I get called. I got called the trumper all the time. I get I I I I've been told by people who know me that for example with with trans rights and trans athletes that i'm one of the most important voices on their side and then trans people who don't know me uh attack me for being anti-trans so it, again i'm here for the facts and the reality uh and 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 the debate and the conversation but yes i i get attacked from both sides trust me <laughs> Good. Uh, I, I do too. So I, I, I like uh, I like talking to people like that. Uh, all right. Let, let's start there then, because I do. I was going to go somewhere else, which is a, a little bit timely, which uh, relates to what the NHL has been doing, particularly the San Jose Sharks. We'll get to that next. But let's go with the story of trans rights, which I actually think um, I wrote about this. I've, I've tweeted about it. Um, I, I think this may be one of the more interesting and uh, uh sort of bellwethers or interesting stories of 2023 and what's to come. I, I think that there's been a bit of a thaw in this topic. Um, we saw the New York Times had a bit of a controversy where a bunch of journalists and activists got together, wrote a letter to the New York Times saying their coverage was anti-trans. And then they, uh, in turn, rather than 
been sort of seeding the ground in the way that they may have for the Tom Cotton op-ed and other instances, they said, no, you know, we're doing objective reporting. We're reporting on all sides. And um, actually, you know, you, the journalists who work here, you can't be signing these sorts of of letters telling us to do these sorts of things. So it was an interesting moment. And I, I do think it kind of pretends a little bit of what's going on. Um, so I wonder what you, you make of it, because yeah, Leah Thomas, I think was like the big story last year. Uh, this was a, a trans athlete um, uh, who was a candidate for woman of the year in the NCAA, uh, a Penn uh, swimmer uh, on the women's team. And you wrote about this in a really interesting way on Outsports about, um, like, for example, Martina Navratilova, who is extremely progressive liberal, speaking out about this story. The, the And then Outkick, uh, who I had Clay Travis on here last month, um, you know, essentially being on, I guess, on some way, the same side of with Martina on this. So it's a complicated issue. Where do you think it all shakes out? And how do you think in particular, the media itself is is looking at this and covering it so far? I'm disappointed with conservatives and how they are painting transgender people as um, somehow morally deficient. I, I understand that we want to we want to treat children, kids, um, differently than we do adults, and and I'm 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 going to circle back to all of this. Yeah. So I so I I'm dis I'm 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 disappointed with you know I'm I'm generally conservative, and I grew up in a Christian faith even though I no longer follow that faith. And my perspective of life is, how can I help other people? And with trans people, having known many of them, having known trans people who have committed suicide because they just, because of how society treated them, I want to help people meet this world in a way that makes them feel welcome. And in areas of academia, housing, employment, government services, I want to help trans people, people who have gender dysphoria, people who are truly transgender. They feel like they were born in the wrong body. I want to help them meet life in a, a, a thoughtful, inclusive, respectful way. Right. Sports are a different beast, not just for transgender people, but for all people. There was a, a an international court ruling a couple of years ago when there was an intersex athlete, uh, Castro Semenya in South Africa, Intersex is different from transgender, but it still brings into question testosterone and gender and all these things and, and fairness. And the court said there is one area of Western society where we have all agreed that discrimination is okay, and that is sports. Hmm. Without discrimination, you don't have age categories. You have no, you know, the, the whole master's sports world where where you know if you're 47 you're competing against people who are 45 to 49 you don't have that you don't have a, a female category and 
I think it's important that we remember, as we're talking about transgender rights in sports, there is a reason that the female category is there. And for me, I want to find a way to include transgender athletes in the female category, because that's at the end of the day, that's what your question is about. Transgender women in the female sports category. I want to find a way that they can be affirmed in that category that doesn't eliminate the category of female sports. Right. And for me, the people, again, I said this at the beginning, people on one side who want no transgender people and the people on the other side who want every transgender person, those of us in the middle trying to find a reasonable, fair way to do this get stuck. Yeah. And people on one side say I'm a fascist and people on the other side say I'm a communist. Well, and, and I do think that's partially the problem here with with that story. And it, it was it resonated to me, you know, with me because it felt like this moment. Um, I, I I think in general, what I do with with Fourth Watch, what I try to do is what what do people what are people saying privately? You know, my case in the media, but oh. refusing to say publicly. Why do people organize it? Yeah. Yeah. Can I sh- can I share about that? Yeah. The transgender people that I talk to. So. I wrote a story a couple of years ago and it looked at, it essentially said, let's let's stop arguing about. Full inclusion and no inclusion, and let's talk about transition requirements. And people at the time said, no, no, no one is arguing that a 25 year old trans woman should be able to compete in the Olympics with no transition requirements. And I said, you're wrong. There are trans people. There, there are people arguing that. There are national organizations arguing that, and there are. Right. And that's not that's not right. I, I love my transgender friends. I want them to find a place where they feel welcome. And and I am nervous that my community is moving toward this push for trans inclusion in sports with no transition requirements that that is that what it what that would do to the way that the rest of the world and america looks at our community as a whole would be incredibly damaging yeah, right. Like the 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 LGBT as a whole, right? I, that, it's an interesting way of, of looking at it because, yeah, I think that the again, I I I, I try to look at okay, why are people and organizations doing things a certain way in public versus maybe behind the scenes? What are incentives that play? And I do wonder, like something about Leah Thomas competing at the high school level, you know, girls rather than women, let's say, and. And then I look, you know, there was an ABC interview uh, that she did that was that got a lot of attention. And it was very like there was a lot of tiptoeing going on, let's say, like there was real palpable fear, I think, in a lot of ways to have this conversation and and in the media landscape to have honest conversations or or conversations free of fear. And, and, and I wonder if like that's part of this also is like for whatever reason, this became an issue that was that caused a lot 
of fear around it. And so so the tiptoeing around it then causes this backlash effect on the other end, and, and then we get into this mess. So I've talked to many transgender people who say this idea that there should be no transition requirements for trans women in the female sports category. Trans people, most of them don't agree with this. Hmm. They, they, they understand that there are there are differences. And of course, I've written about this. You can point to that there are women in the world who are faster than some men. There are women who are stronger than some men. And I get that there is an overlap, but when you're looking at elite levels, that is not the case. <laughs> right. The slowest man in the 100-meter dash in the Olympics is faster than the fastest woman. And so when you, you know, one of the things that I advocate for is at the community level, think about intramural sports in college or just, you know, your, your local kickball league, who cares right. about transition requirement? Like, who cares? Nobody's making a living off of this. But when you're talking, what we're really talking about is elite sports, high school state championships, NCAA championships, Olympic medals. When you're talking about those things, you're now starting to talk about how people make their living. Coaches, how people get scholarships. And there has to be a thoughtful, reasonable uh, inclusion approach because I'm sorry, I am not for a 20-year-old transgender woman on April 4th declaring she's a woman and on April 5th running in an NCAA event with no transition. I, I, I'm against that. And, and a lot of people, to your point, are scared to say that. And I was scared to say that, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago. And I'm not scared anymore because that's the reality. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, it. I think it's a conversation that's happening now. We see it in the pages of the New York Times, not just on this, but on just um, the the extreme rise in in young girls, um, you know, declaring themselves trans, transitioning, and, and that process. So it's actually starting in, in the media, and and at the same time, we're seeing the backlash to it. So it's it's going to be a big pivotal moment, I, I think, at this and point. And Steve, here's the other thing: forget about transgender, non-binary. The number of kids who identify as non-binary is is exploding. Yeah. So is your argument that a non-binary kid can just pick which 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 sex category they compete in? That's crazy talk. The, right. yeah. the news, and, and, and what we're seeing a little bit that for example the New York City Marathon has created a non-binary category where we have female runners, we have male runners. And then if you want to just get lumped in with everyone who doesn't fit into those here's your category and i think that's an interesting way to move forward it's hard in like some team sports to create that because there's just not enough people to have a competition at this point right not yet but yeah we have to start thinking about okay all these kids are identified as non-binary we can't just let them pick which category that of these two that they they fit into 
And, and very likely, I would imagine they're picking uh, the female category, right? I mean, in just in terms of, of competition-wise. A story about the NHL, rainbow jerseys, and how one team transformed its Twitter account for a pride-themed thread. So the San Jose Sharks uh, in particular, but I think the NHL in general and, and other leagues have really made a big push um, with Pride nights, and we've seen, you know, the controversies of okay, who's wearing the pride jersey, and then the one that's not, and this one says he's Russian, and this one says he's Christian, and this happened again with the San Jose Sharks uh, just in the last couple of days uh, since we're talking about it. And I, I think so. I'm, I'm curious your take on it, sports as it relates to inclusion. But I also want I, I have to just bring this up. Like I, the San Jose Sharks Twitter account, you know, said that instead of tweeting about the game, we're going to tweet about. LGBT issues. So like there were tweets like things like 40% of LGBTQ uh, plus students across the United States avoided locker rooms because they felt uncomfortable or unsafe accessing them, uh, accessing them. Okay. That makes sense to, to relate it. And then there's one that's like the, the mukes gender is a respected third gender in Zapotec culture in Mexico that has existed for centuries. Guna are those, I mean, and it just goes on and on like this. And I, and I'm looking at this, like, who exactly is this for? Who is this serving? Not just, not the night, not the night in the jerseys. And I, I'm curious about the media coverage of that, but the, but the way, but these tweets, for example, uh, from the team. Well, I, so we started out sports in 1999 and I've been reporting on LGBT issues since then. You, this is the first time I've ever heard of some third gender in Mexico, so I'm <laughs> going to have to go look into what that is. The mukes gender. Okay. So I understand people wanting to sit down and watch an NFL game and just watch the game. I get that. But I also, as a gay man who felt unwelcome in sports, who at the beginning when I came out felt unsafe in sports. I understand the decades of homophobia and transphobia that have existed in sports. And this is someone whose uh, sports have been an inherent part of my life, an inherent part of my life as a gay man, my identity as a gay man. And I appreciate the leagues and the teams and the athletes who are saying no more. We want to make sure that this community that has for decades felt like they're unwelcome in sports, that, that they now feel welcome. So I don't know about the Sharks tweeting about a third gender in Mexico. I, I don't know about all that. But what I know is that... For a long, long time, my community has felt really unwelcome, not just in men's sports, but in women's sports. It, I, I have talked to countless women in women's sports who have felt uncomfortable coming out, even in women's sports, where there is a huge number at the elite level of LGBT women. So I get that, you know, people, oh, I just, I just want to watch the game. You can watch the game. Right. And I appreciate the Sharks and the NHL and the NFL and the Rams and the Patriots and all the stuff that all these teams and leagues do to make sure that I feel welcome. Well, I, and, and this I kind of brings me to my next point, which is that 
I, I something that, that really kind of bothers me, and this is that I'm not sure why we haven't gotten farther at this point. You know, in doing research for this, um, I, I was looking up. You know, you were involved in. I, I believe you were involved in like the Michael Irvin. Uh, writing about Michael Irvin, talking about his gay brother, you sort of co- yeah, coming out. Yeah, so you wrote this in 2011. This is now 12 years ago yep. that this happens. Um, it's a great, great piece I and mean, really interesting. He's on the cover of of Out um, for the sports issue, and you know, talking about allies, you know, LGBT, you know, allies, in, you know, basically straight allies uh, in in sports. And Michael Irvin at the time was a huge star, still a huge star. Actually, kind of hit back in the news more recently uh, now, but, you know, these, there's these moments in time and you think, okay, these, this is a real breakthrough moment. Um, and, you know, from, from me as someone who's a sports fan, I try to stay, you know, up on the news and, and, and culturally, you know, involved, like, I, I don't like, how are we not further along now in the world of sports and in kind of the media coverage of it, would you say? The sports world has transformed. Athletes, coaches, administrators, executives, the vast majority accept and welcome gay people. And I say all of constantly that the failure is the communication of that, that we, that the media I think it's I think it's in large part a media issue is stuck on this idea that, for example, NFL players hate gay people. So when Carl Nassib came out publicly two years ago, he was a player with the, the Raiders. I said very publicly, this is a non-issue. And I heard from members of the NFL media, gosh, I hope you're right. I'm not sure. You know, boy, this is going to test what you've been saying for years. And guess what? He had a an incredible, the first regular season game that he was out. He was a huge part of sealing the win for the Raiders. They went yeah. to the playoffs. He then got signed by the Bucs. They went to the playoffs. And this idea that men in sports hate gay people we have got to divorce ourselves from that attitude because it's not true. Of course, you have a player with the San Jose Sharks who won't even wear a rainbow. Got that. 95% of the players did. And that's where sports is today. It is completely changed. And I play, I place a lot of the blame for people continuing to believe that sports aren't for gay people on the media. Yeah, I, I think right, and and I wonder like with the Sharks player who I don't even know his name, but he he wouldn't wear the the, the rainbow jersey. Would if there was a gay player on his team, which there might be, that you know he wouldn't be potentially accepting of that player, just not do this what he might consider you know what he might say publicly. Maybe he considers it a performative thing. What's he going to do? Quit the right. team? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, right. a, a, a teammate comes out. Oh, I'm out of here. No, of course not. Yeah, he's, he's going to find a way to make sure that his teammate helps them win. That's sports. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're right. I mean, like Carl Nassim is a great case study. I think Michael Sam before him. Um, but, you know, Michael Sam not, wasn't the the star, you know, not the star, but wasn't the player maybe that Carl was. Um, but but for all every reporting we've ever seen 
that that has come out about Carl and his teammates or Michael Sam and his teammates, there was not this this backlash internally. There was not a fan backlash, right? I mean, we haven't seen that, and so so yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I wonder why that is, and and what the, what the media is still stuck on, and why we get potentially the performative sides of it and not the reality of of where this of where this is now. I. I chastise when people people in the media uh, interview me about this topic. I chastise them all the time. I because Jason Collins, so he was a player in the NBA. Yeah, and that's right. He was the tail end of his career. He came out and he got signed by the Brooklyn Nets. His first game was an away game at the LA Lakers. An away game. When he came into the game, he got. An ovation. He got applause from from the 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 the, the opposing team's fans, and that I went to Michael Sam's first game in the preseason. I talked to the Rams fans. They were proud that their organization had signed a gay athlete, and it's just it it's so frustrating to me to see members of the media. And coaches and players and fans, everyone's blaming everybody. Oh, it's, you know, it's the fans, the coaches, it's the athletes. It's none of it. There, there is not a majority. There isn't a majority of Republicans who hate gay people. And, and that's gone. So this idea that that the sports world, even the NFL, the, the, the height of machismo is somehow homophobic. It is just so incredibly frustrating. I can't tell you the relationships that I have with people in the NFL. Michael Irvin, a Hall of Fame player. Pat Hanlon at the Giants. Um, Brian McCarthy at the NFL. Like All these people, they're, they're so inclusive. They want the attitude and perspective to change, and yet it's still stuck on this nonsense. So what do you think? Then, then I guess my only other question about it is really – um, or I guess it's a, a theory is like, maybe it's going to take a really star player to come out because I, I think it's for anyone who follows sports. I mean, first of all, anyone who understands culture, it's there's, there's, there's lots of gay athletes that are in the NBA and the NFL that are not out right now. And, and including, you know, I, I don't know what the protocol on, on saying some names, but people that are very, very, very top athletes in the NFL, for example, that are, you know, rumored to be LGBT and, and they're are not and are staying essentially closeted for one reason or another. And I wonder, is it the media reaction to it that will make it into this big thing when really they don't want to do that? Or what is stopping it? And would that, do you think, break this so then everyone can move on to the next, you know, point that they want to move on to? So what is, what's keeping some of the gay men in professional leagues from coming out, there is not one silver bullet for some it's family. Their grandparents don't know. They're afraid of what their how their grandparents feel. Some of them are convinced that they, you know, they're on a 53 person roster. They're number 48 and they're afraid they'll get cut. For everybody, it's different. For me coming out, I was afraid that God was going to send me to an eternity of hell and fire and damnation, and that's what kept me in the closet. So you don't know. There's, there is no one, oh, well, if we just, you know, push this button, then then all these people are going to come out. Because 
coming out as a very personal uh, experience. I, I will say, I think that the tenor of social media, you mentioned Twitter earlier, there are some very inclusive spaces. The hate that I get from anti-gay people on a daily basis, and I'm happy to take the 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 oncoming fire. I'm if if it if I take the fire and somebody else doesn't, I'm all for it because you can't get to me like you 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 can't make me think that I'm less than. So, but you can to other people. Yeah, and and I think that you again you mentioned Twitter before. That's that's the shitty part of social media is that some of these people can actually with their words they actually hurt people and 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 that really sucks coming up is twitter helping our discourse or hurting it plus ziegler on why he's a regular fox news viewer that's next but first I want to give you a little bit of the latest rabbit hole fourth watch column that I wrote, which was about Yellowstone and why coastal elites generally despise and disdain it. Here's a bit. We don't hate you. You just hate us. The show tells the coastal elite snobs. And most importantly, you don't understand us and have no interest in remedying that apathy. The coastal liberal elite operate under an air of open-mindedness, but instead they've proven to be the provincial narrow-minded scolds they conceivably critique. All that education has amounted to a narrowing of the worldview rather than an opening. The good guys in Yellowstone are curious about what they don't understand. They're excited and invigorated about the unknown. The coastal elites parodied on the show hate and resent the unknown. More with Sid coming up, but I want to tell you that the full Fourth Watch is available exclusively to paid subscribers on Substack. Yes, Fourth Watch has gone independent in 2023, and paid subscribers get a whole bunch of extra content from original deep dive columns like what you just heard, Rabbit Hole, to the full podcasts each episode. Check it out for just 5 bucks a month or $50 for a year at fourthwatch.media. Now, back to Sid Ziegler. I've seen it firsthand in the media, people that are huge stars. I mean, they, they should not care what a, someone with five followers, you know, who doesn't, who has a, you know, no picture and doesn't, should not care what they're saying to them. And, and yet with the media, we see it with celebrities, obviously with athletes, I think potentially even more so with athletes who have, you know, a, a real complex, I think of, of, you know, superstardom. There was no feedback mechanism before Twitter in a very real way. I mean, you could get email or you could get, you know, a, a letter in the mail, but you didn't have that instant feedback. You miss a shot, you log on Twitter, you got 20 people, 100 people, 1,000 people yelling at you. Uh, I, you know, it does really change things, I think, for, for, for anyone, an athlete, a media member. And yeah, I, I think that that is definitely one of the negative incentives, I think, in our in our current culture. I have to ask, though, you will... You will argue with these people. I don't know why you argue with them. It's like these, you know, these, these nobodies on Twitter. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I know I'm glad you're not taking it personally, but you do, you do engage with them. I'll, I'll t uh, well, so when I engage with somebody on Twitter, I look at how many followers they have and generally they have to have at least a hundred followers for me to, okay. to engage because there are people with three, three followers. I just, I engage with them because I, I guess a few reasons. Number one, again, Send the send your attacks to me. If I can field your attacks and you're not, that means you're not attacking somebody else who might actually get hurt by what you're saying. 
I'm happy to take that oncoming fire. I will also say that every once in a while, an actual conversation develops and a bit of understanding is created. So, and I guess the third part is just to continue to highlight for people the fact that there's real bad anti-LGBT bias out there. So I guess, you know, I'm happy to take the oncoming fire if somebody else isn't. Uh, there's actual real conversations that I've, I've, I've actually had phone calls no. with people that I've engaged with on, on Twitter who, who may have attacked me at the beginning. And then we just start talking and, and, and a real conversation develops. Uh, and then the third part is just to, to continue to elevate the, the insanity. If you can't wear a little tiny rainbow on your Jersey, because you're Christian, I'm sorry, you're telling me that women don't deserve equality and there shouldn't be any interracial marriage because the Bible has been used for both of those things too. So I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't tell me that you can't, that I can't marry my husband. Uh, but women in the workplace and interracial marriage is fine because your same Bible has been used to attack both of those things. Let me be devil's advocate just on that one. Do you think that there's a part of it that's, I don't want to be, I don't want to wear it because I, I don't want to do the performance of it. Like, I, I understand that, you know, I don't want to be used in this way of like, I, I support it. I can support it, you know, within my team and my own community. But, but the, but the performative aspect of that, I don't want to do. Do you think there's any aspect of that? Or do you think it's just a sort of a, you know, anti-gay It's homophobia. Bias? It's bigotry. The, the, I would love to know. I'll say this. These teams, they have different warm-up jerseys and different jerseys. They wear all different colors. Did you refuse to wear camo during military night? Have have you have you taken the position that I am not going to wear absolutely anything? I'm only going to wear with the sharks, teal and black and white, and that's it. Right. Well, it reminds me a little like Jonathan Isaac, who wouldn't wear the Black Lives Matter shirt, you know, on the on the magic or something, you know, Black it's, Lives it's, Matter is it, 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 it. That's interesting. It's a little different because it's an organization. Right. So, so I I get I it's a little it's a little different. If he refused to wear something honoring, say, Martin Luther King, then we have a real problem. Interesting. Okay. But well, yeah, Martin Luther King. BLM is it is an organization that raises money, and so so in the NHL there used to be this you can you can play as organization. They worked with the NHL for years. I can rationalize not supporting this particular organization, but just wearing like an MLK patch or a rainbow flag now. Now you've overstepped the bounds. To me, I, yeah. I see a difference between the two. Um, I I guess some people probably don't, but there's a difference between organizations and and just equality. Right, right. I uh, I, I do have to say I I don't argue with people on Twitter, but I love that that you also continue it on, on like with phone calls and whatnot. I I think that there is also 
of Twitter a performance of it because it is public. Um, but if anyone e- emails me, there are lots of emails you can find. I email everyone back, even if you say you hate me and you disagree with me. Um, I, I love that. Uh, uh, okay, let me ask you this um, because you've been, you mentioned it, you've been in the game a while, right? 1990 started out sports. Um, it's grown so much. Obviously, the industry has changed so much. This was long before Twitter. Um, how do you how do you see the growth of it. What was what were those early days like compared to particularly now? It's not that long ago, but obviously it's it's come a long way in terms of an industry at this point. Well, in 1999, there was no such thing as the LGBT community. It was the gay community. And all we focused on was gay people. And, and, and no one wanted to talk about gay people in sports. I, that ESPN had done one segment on gay athletes um, the New York Times had one story about a gay football player in Massachusetts named Corey Johnson, you know, who went on to become a very successful right. politician in New York City. Uh, other than that, no one talked about it. And that was, I think, the real difference today. A lot of people want to talk about this today. The, the gay community has transformed to the LGBT community. And I remember in the early 2000s, I remember arguments with gay people should we even include trans people in our community there was a real debate about whether gender identity and sexual orientation should be married up into the same movement uh, i felt then and i feel today that they're very similar even though there are in the sports world key differences and i'm proud to support transgender people so th- those are some of the big differences. Nobody was talking about this. Absolutely nobody. Right. And then over the over the years, as athletes have come out and different stories have gotten written, the, the interest level has elevated a lot. And, and uh, to be honest, I mean, the, the, the whole transgender issue in sports has has overrun this entire conversation. We're not even talking gay athletes. People are like, a gay guy in the locker room? Who cares? The transgender athlete story has exploded. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. It's like uh, it's made the Overton window of the LGBT, you know, athlete space has made it so that now, yeah, just your your run of the mill gay. We used to just, argue about whether gay men belonged in the men's locker room. That was the conversation twenty years ago. Now it's not even on the radar. More with Sid coming up, including the Fourth Watch Lightning Round and why Fox News is a regular part of his news consumption diet. Available for paid subscribers of Fourth Watch on Substack. Go to fourthwatch.media to try it. Thanks so much to Sid. And remember, Fourth Watch, not just a podcast, also a newsletter. Subscribe for free at fourthwatch.media. Join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in this show as I do, check out the artist who created it, Super Duper. That's Super Duper Music on Instagram. Song is Far From Falling. Download it wherever you get your music. And download and rate review follow like this podcast the fourth watch podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast back soon stay safe talk to you then